please, if you have your Bibles with you. If you do not, we have some at the back. For those of you who are visiting, we have made our ways our way through James, uh, through a few sermons. So please turn to James chapter 4. Turn to James chapter 4. Just when we thought James had finished challenging us and encouraging us, uh, we yet will see yet another test through James. James chapter 4, and we will read from verse 13 to 17. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you are to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do, it does not do it to him, it is sin. Now, as I said, James has been lovingly, mildly, at times sternly, as he will do here, rebuking and challenging the church. As If you just want to catch up, maybe listen to the last two sermons where James was talking about the self-centeredness of man, the pride of man, the self-exalting man that would drive him so much so to sin and to have himself exalted so much so loving the world that he will fight with people and make himself an enemy of God. Yet we saw that even through that, those who belong to Jesus Christ, those who were born again through their flaws and through their failures, We have a faithful God. We have a faithful husband to his bride. And through that, he will draw his bride even closer to him and shower his bride with grace upon grace. What a great God we worship. But James yet brings this other test. What causes this conflict and selfishness and pleasures within? What is it? There's one root cause that James is going to reveal to us. Pride. I will. I will. We live in such a, such a time that everything that we are told by this world is about self. It's about yourself. No thoughts for God. No willingness to submit to God. No desire to follow God. Uh, no hope in God, no humility towards God. We live in such a culture that teaches the I will, I will, I will, I will, so much so that they will make the Satan's I will look like child's play. I will go to such a school and I will study for so long. I will get such a job, and I will make such money. I will purchase what I want, and when I want, I will choose the place for me to live, and I will choose the house I want to be in. I will choose the yard that I want, and I will furnish it my way. I will choose the wife I want to choose, and the husband I want to choose, and and he has to meet my criteria, or else I will not marry him. 
I think about it, brethren, in Psalm 14, 1, it says, For the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I don't want God. I don't desire God. No God for me. No desire for God. The atheist lives this way outside of God's will. And by his unrighteousness, the Bible tells us that he suppresses the truth down of God. He does not want God in his life. But who is James aiming at here? We can understand that the atheist will say that and the unbeliever says that. But James has in mind believers. And also unbelievers, of course, as we know, James has always a twofold meaning in his writings. But if he's aiming at the believers, then we need to do a little bit of examining on which will are we living in. There are only two wills, yours and God's. It's very simple, very, very simple. I've titled this the test of two wills, the test of the wills. Very simple outline. One, living by the will of man. Or two, living by the will of God. So let us break it down. Living by the will of man. And I will skip verse 15, but we'll read 13 for the moment. Here's what James begins to say. After everything that he has said about loving the world, submitting to God and, and coming under his authority, now he says, come. Come now. This is a present active imperative, which means it is a command. I command you now to come. Come right now and examine yourself. This speaks of great urgency. Come right now. Pay attention. Listen to me. This is not a, 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 a really soft tone with James. This is a hard tone. He's being very hard here. Listen to me very carefully. Wake up from your slumber. You sluggard, pay attention. This is what he's saying. You do not see your conscience. You is plural. You, the whole church. You who say, this is a participle. I know it's hard for you to understand it, but let me tell you, this is really saying this. Come now, the ones who are continually saying this very thing. It speaks of a, a lifestyle and a practice. Those of you who are saying these things and characterized by these things. And what we'll discover here is that James is saying, those of you who are desiring to live in your own will, you are desiring to be your own Lord. You are desiring to be your own sovereign Lord. And what James is going to reveal to us is five wills. And I'm going to flush them out for you. All right. Look at this. Come now you who say today or tomorrow. Now, before we get into that, let me, let, let, let me just say this to you. In this verse, what James is not expressing that you cannot today or tomorrow go to such and such a place or have such a job or marry such a person. He's not saying that. The Bible tells us that man makes plans. So you're, man, you're meant to plan. It's not saying that you have to be stuck in Melbourne. Now if you, yeah, Melbourne's got so many different, what, what is it called? No, not the restrictions. I was talking about the weather. But, you know, so many different seasons in one, you know, in one day, you know. 
I hate to tell you this, you know, God is in control in those seasons, right? So, but here's the thing. It's not saying that you have to stay in Melbourne and, and that's it. That, that, you know, and it's not forbidding for you to actually provide or work or have a business or make a profit. No. What James begins to flush out here is that you're doing it all in your own will for yourself. Here's your first I will. Today or tomorrow, we will go. That means I will choose my time. I'm choosing it. I will go there. It's like saying, I purpose what I will do. I put it in motion. It speaks of self-reliance, self-choosing, and self-doing. That's what this is talking about. I choose the time. I choose the hour. I choose the day. I am the, the almighty. I am the great I am because I am who I am. And if you're wondering where I'm getting this from, and if you think, Ralph, that's not, is that really what it's saying? We will see that in verse 15, because instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills. So obviously he, here James is saying, the Lord, you're not consulting God. So you're living in your own will. And we will go and we will do. There is no willing to submit to God, no desire for God, no drawing near to God, no resisting the devil. I'm going to do what I will do. Two says, and we're going to go to such and such a place. The second I will is not only he depends upon himself to go to such a place, uh, to, 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 to go to, to, uh, 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 where he wants to go, but he chooses his own place. I alone choose. I choose to go. It's my will to go where I want to go. I'm going to go where I want to go. And guess what happens? God just has to catch up. I go and then I say, God, come. This is what this is exposing. Three, once I go there, I will spend a year there. I, I, I can see the future. Right? That's the third I will. I will know how long to stay. I'm going to choose my time on how long. Once again, I, I make sure that you don't misunderstand this. It is not saying for us not to plan, but this planning is done outside of God's will. Of course, nothing is outside God's will. We'll see that in a minute, but that's the way these people, I am my own God. I choose my own future. I go. Fourth, I will choose my own business. I will go then engage in business. I am choosing my own life, my own business. I am planning all this. James is not happy about this. Why? There is no Christ here. There is no God here. It's just man. Man is doing what he wills to do at his own pace, his own time, and his own place. Fifth, this is where we get to the crux of it. He says, and I will go there, and I'm going to make a profit. You see, that's his goal. It is to prosper by himself, all for himself. He wills it. He does it. He is a self-willed man, self-provider, self-confident. He thinks highly of himself. He thinks he controls his own life. Let, let me tell you quickly, though, what James is using here about this, about buying, selling, going, is just an illustration. 
This is not so much so that that's all that James means and it doesn't apply to us. Oh, it applies to us in every area of life. James, you happen to use that illustration because that's what the Jews did at the time. They went, they traveled, they bought, they did this and they did that. But the application here is the pride of the man, the self-willing, the self-driving man, and the self-I will. And so this applies to all kinds of situation in our own lives, which we will continue to unfold. This is a man who is ambitious. He's motivated. He's not lazy. He's not a sluggard. He's active. But in his ambition and in his motivation and in his activity, it is only to bring himself joy and satisfaction apart from God. Apart from God. I want you to turn to to Luke. I want to show you that this reminds me of the parable of the rich man. I want you to see this in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And you will see these I wills from this man so that we can get our heads around what James is really saying here. Luke chapter 12 and from verse 60. And he told him a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to whom? To himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones that I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. You have many good laid up for you, many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Doesn't it not sound like the day that we're living in today? That I will to do what I will to do, and no one can stop me. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters and friends and young adults and those who are not saved, look around you. You buy a pair of shoes that is worth 50 bucks. You're not content with it until you get the one that's worth $300, right? You buy a car that's worth $3,000, you're not content until you get the $30,000 one. Let me tell you something. I read something from a man who was very, very wealthy, and he was on his dying bed. He was an unbeliever, and I'll tell you who he is in a minute. Here's what he said. Whether you have a $300 pair of shoes or $30 pair of shoes, they will get you to the same place. If you have a $30,000 car or a $300,000 car, that will get you to the same destination. Do you know who that man was? Steve Jobs on his dying bed, a man who was worth millions of dollars, and in the end, it was actually useless. And Jesus then continues here in the parable, says, but God said to him, you fool. You stupid man. This is the very night your souls required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? You keep on working. You keep on building. And, and your family and your friends will enjoy it anyway. And Jesus said, but. So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And in a way, 
Here, James, he's saying, you're a fool if you think like this. You're foolish. You're foolish. Does that make sense? Well, then James continues in verse 14. Let's go back to James. And he says to these people, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You know what we just read? You don't know what your life is like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears a little while and then it vanishes away. Here's what James begins to tell these people. You are a vapor. You do not control your life. You're like a smoke that appears and as quick as the smoke appears, it literally disappears. Isaiah says, your life is like withering grass. Job says, your life is but a mere breath. David wrote, life is nothing in God's sight. And Job adds that life speed is quicker than a runner. James is really honing home here. And he's telling the church, don't live your lives in your own wills as somehow, all right, somehow you are your own gods. Because your life is like a smoke, it's like wind, it's like a breath, it's like grass, and it's quickly done away with. And just like our beloved James, who through the whole epistle, just in case we missed what he's saying, he will drive the nail in the coffin in verse 16. Skip verse 15 and let me just read verse 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. You are boasting in your arrogance. It is a passive word which means you're boasting in yourself. I willed it. I did it. This is pride. This is arrogance. This is selfishness. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not boast about tomorrow. But they were boasting in themselves. By the way, the word boast means glory. They were boasting in their vain glory. That they were boasting in what they were achieving, their riches, and they were glorifying their riches. You're boasting in your own arrogance, your vain glory. Now, the problem is not so much the boasting, but who are you boasting in? The boasting in and of itself is not the problem, it's who you're boasting in. Instead of having shame, in self-glory, this man has peace in his self-glory. Where we should hate the flesh, here this man loves his flesh and feeds it. He should not be content in his dealings, yet he takes pride and joy in it. Rather than calling evil, evil, he calls evil good for his own soul. You want to boast in something? David said, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of our Lord God. You want to boast in something, Paul says, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. 
And we should join the Apostle Paul and say, may it never be that I will boast except in what? In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, all such boasting is evil. That word evil, poneros, my wife, God bless her, she's Greek. It is used for Satan to point out to him that he's the evil one. It is saying all such boasting apart from God's will that you are doing, it is so wicked that it reflects the very character of the devil himself. It's pretty full on, right? And Satan himself said, I will ascend into heaven. I mean, there's a similarity here when I'm reading James. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. That's what the devil said in Isaiah chapter 14. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high God. This is Satan's I will. Very similar to what we see today and very similar to what James is saying here. Ultimately, this prideful man, all people, because he's aiming at the whole church, are placing themselves against the Lord in pride so much as Satan did himself. And James says such boasting is demonic. Such boasting is from the evil one. It's pretty full on, right? That's your first point. That is a man who is living in his own will. I will do what I want, when I want, how I want, to go where I want, buy whatever shoes I want, marry who I want. You fill in the blanks. That's a self-willed driven man. But now, James will begin to make this contrast. So our second point is living in the will of God. Because I'm hoping and praying that we came here this morning because we want to live in the will of God. Because if you wanted to live in the will of man, you wouldn't be here, right? Amen? Uh, there was a quiet amen. One person, only five people, right? So let's look at verse 15, and then we'll look at verse 17 as an application in that sense for us. Verse 15, instead, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. That word instead is very interesting. It's, it's a word anti which is actually used in 1 John as a proposition before Antichrist, right? This is where we get Antichrist. So it's used just before the word Christ in 1 John to say completely the opposite. So James, here's what James is saying. Instead, in contrast to what I just told you, it's a complete contrast. It's a complete opposite over and against. Instead of saying, I will choose my own time, I will move to my own place, I will stay as long as I want, I will work and make money, this is my goal. Instead of boasting and all hell is rejoicing with you, James is saying, you ought to be saying continually, always, without arrogance, if God wills, we will do this and we will do that. And this saying is exactly the same word. It's the same verb, which means those people who are continually doing this 
or to stop continuing doing that and continue to say this, if the Lord wills. But when you're saying it, and I'm going to get into that for a, in a minute because it's kind of interesting, most of us, let me just say this, most of us have adapted that saying and we kind of put it in as a formula or as a bookend at the end of a prayer, right? Uh, I'm hoping to marry such and such, if the Lord wills, you know. I want to go to such and such a place, if the Lord wills, right? We kind of throw it in there, right? And in and of itself, it's not wrong. I'm going to show you. It's a very biblical term, right? But is that what James is saying here? Is he saying just use it as a bookend? Whenever you say something, you're depressed about something. Well, you know, I really want to get that car. Oh, well, if God wills, I'll get it. That is not what James is saying. And I explain it to you. It's not wrong in and of itself. The Apostle Paul said these things when he was, he was in, um, in the synagogue preaching and the Jews heard him preach and they desired him to stay in the book of Acts chapter 18, verse 20 to 21. They told him, stay longer. He says, I will return to you again. If the Lord wills, right? Which is fine. He was saying that. But in what context? In the context of, I really want to be here, but my desire is to do the will of God. So if God wills for me to be here, I'll come. If not, his will for me to be somewhere else. So Paul was actually content, all right? Paul's desire was for the brethren in Romans. He says, if perhaps at least, at last, by the will of God, I may need. Uh, succeed in coming to you so it's okay to understand that and paul also says in corinthians to the church but i will come to you soon if the lord wills which is fine to say those words but what does that mean that means that paul was submitting himself under the will of God in all areas of his life. And he's saying to him, if God wills me to come, guess what? He will literally part the Red Sea for me and I will walk through it. If not, he will stop it and I will not come. I, either way, I am submitting under the Lord's will. That's what he's saying. And how often should we submit to the Lord's will? Always, continually, in every situation, every day. You see, because you say, well, what about the people in verse 13? Well, if the people in verse 13 and 14 and 16 were under the will of God or they were submitting to the will of God, James wouldn't have given us a contrast. And James wouldn't have told us, instead of that, do this. Here's something to think about. James does not forbid any of those things. But he's saying, come to the Lord Jesus. I love James. And he's saying, come under the ever-present, ever-powerful, ever-sovereign God who loves you so much and he wants to direct your path. He desires to direct your path according to his will. But let's understand it just a little bit more about the will of God because the, the word there for will is... is uh, the law, which means desire, pleasing. It means willingness, favor, pleasure. In other words, we ought to be like this in all situations of life. Whatever situation and whatever I need to do, is this going to please my Lord? Is Christ going to be pleased in my actions? 
That's what we're meant to be saying. We won't use that as a bookend of depression. It's meant to be, Lord, I want my will to be your will. Is this going to have pleasure? Are you going to take pleasure in this, Lord? Let me give you just two things, perhaps, that can help us to understand. There are two wills that we know of God. The sovereign will and a commanded will. God's sovereign will that he does everything according to his own pleasure, for his own glory, for himself. No one can change it. No one can know it. No one can twist it. That's his sovereign rule. Let me just give you a couple of verses so we can understand this. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. That's God's will. That's God's will. Brothers and sisters, don't be upset about this. You cannot change that will. That's his will, and he does it for his own good pleasure. Job 42 uh, 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No one can change what God puts in place. Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all for my good pleasure. That's God's sovereign will. And that means that God is sovereign in his perfect plan over situations, over jobs and marriages and relationships and exams and COVID and earthquakes, tsunamis and all the cities and all the travel and all that I do. And he does all of that, not for your good pleasure. I'm sorry that this is going to burst. Oh, that's the pressure. He does not do that for you. He does it for his own good pleasure. He is not our. We cannot comprehend it. He can only reveal this to us when we look back and in the present time what we see. I don't know the future though. That's God's sovereign will. And in essence, James is saying, you must come to God and submit under the secret will of God first. All of your lives, all of your dealings, not just some, all of it. God is sovereign and he is wise and none of his providential decisions are with error. They are skillfully done by his holy, perfect plan. And God's will must be in the center of our minds and our thoughts. And now we're going to reveal it in our actions, which is God's revealed will. God's revealed will. Let me give you a couple of verses. The Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's God's will in your lives as Christians to do what? To make disciples. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, He, God, who desires Wills, their law, is a desire, right, that all men will be saved. That's God's will to bring about salvation to people. What a great God. But he's telling us to act. First Peter 3, 9, just at the end of it, it says that God is not wishing for any to perish, but all come to repentance, right? 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, 
your sanctification. What's that mean? It means that God's desire, His will, what pleases God is that you walk a holy life. That you will walk perfectly. That you aim to be like Christ. And then Matthew 7, 21, it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What does that mean? We ought to have God's will in our lives present at all times. Always. Always. Look at verse 17 in James. And let's kind of bring this together to see what kind of an application can we take out of this. Now, once again, James, I'll just explain to you, James always talks in plural. But at the end, he just goes to a singular person. So you have to make your own decisions. He says, verse 17, Therefore, to the one, or to the many, to the one, therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. To the one who knows, who has known, who, who is born again, who has had the Spirit of God, if this person knows, what does he know? What does a Christian know? A Christian knows he must live his life in the will of God. He has known that from the very beginning. If he knows what to do, but he continues in rebellion and does not do it, to this person, it is sin. This is what we call a sin of omission. I don't know if you've ever heard that. There is a sin of commission, a sin of omission. Let me quickly tell you what a sin of omission is. The sin of commission is God says, don't do this, so you don't do it. The sin of omission is God saying, do this, and you don't do it. All right? That means James is saying, if you know that God wants you to be under his sovereign will in all areas of life, and if you don't do it, to you, it is sin. Amartea, it is a sin. Right? We don't, we don't look at that. We, we, we don't look at, oh, well, if I don't do that, it is a, it's not that bad. I'm not killing or murdering. No, if we know to do the right thing, and if God's will is for me to submit under his will in all areas of life, according to James, it is a sin. In actual fact, if I'm not leading my wife the way I ought, because I know God says to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, then I'm sinning. And if my wife, God bless her, she's... She is very submissive, and she would not submit because she knows to submit. According to James, it is a sin to her. She knows the right thing to do, and she omits it. She doesn't do it. That means it's a sin. That's what James is going with this. And we've covered this already. James is not condemning working or having a wife or, or any of these things. What James is condemning, what James is challenging is, where is God in this situation? I am the ruler of my own kingdom. I rule, I reign. 
Because if that's the person, then we must go back to what James said in chapter 4, verse 6. God resists the proud. If a person doesn't come to God and submit under God's will and desiring God's will, he must be a proud person. He must be a proud person. Let me, let me just bring a couple of things to you, just to encourage you and to challenge you. I actually, but before I say that, let, 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 I will share in, as you do when you prepare in a sermon with some of the, the brothers and some, and someone said to me, but that's very hard. Am I meant to submit all things under God? Isn't that hard? Yep. Does the Bible say to do it? Yep. So you're meant to submit everything under God, all of it. So here's some, something to think about before I give you some verses. Which will have you been following in your life? Which will? How are your desires in your own life? In which area of your life are you failing to actually submit to God? By the way, if you're an unbeliever, okay, the first thing you must do, okay, the will of God for you is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Because if you just try to do these wills, you're going to be twice as much a son or a daughter of hell. Because all you're trying to do is be more self-righteous than what you already are. But God tells you to come in submission to Him. Trust Him, as we heard even from the communion. All these little arrows that we give you, surrender, trust, these are not steps. They say one thing. Jesus is Savior, and you are a sinner, and you need Him. Do you think about it, about the Lord, you brethren, when you're making decisions? Or is Jesus just in your thoughts and mind when things are big? You know, all right, I got to buy a house. I got to see if God wills for me to do this, but not so much so what kind of a dress should I wear? I would challenge you on that. Okay, because will God be pleased with the dress that you're wearing or your shoes you're wearing? So don't think that just coming and asking God, what is your will? It's just to do with big, big things, but all things, all things. Are you looking for a spouse, a wife or a husband? Let me tell you something now. We must begin in being content with the will of God. Sure, the commanded will, it's okay, get married. But what if God does not will for you to get married? What will you do? If you don't surrender under the will of God, you're going to be a very depressed person. If you're not content in the will of God and whatever he brings you. So James is really saying here, do all things, all practical things under God's will, under his authority, or else, he says to you, it is sin. But I think we must begin with this. What is the purpose of a Christian's existence? So that we can understand the will of God a bit more. According to Isaiah 43.7, everyone who is called by my name whom I have created for 
my glory. You are created. God saved you so that you can manifest God's attributes, God's goodness, God's love, the gospel, and all the rest of it in your lives. Your existence as a Christian, it is to do God's will by glorifying Him. That's one. Where do I begin? Bring it to the Lord in prayer, whatever it is. Proverbs says, in all your ways, acknowledge God, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Acknowledge God. Acknowledge God in your plans, in your jobs, in your uh, spouse seeking, in your car buying, in your job. Acknowledge God. Three, listen to this. When the apostles said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And the Lord says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and my will be done. No, he said, your will be done. I hope you didn't agree with me then. It was was your will, not mine. Your will be done. Pay attention to that. It's a model of prayer. So if you want to learn about when I say, ah, if the Lord wills, the Lord wills that his will will be done. That's God's will. Next, when Jesus prayed to the Father to remove the cup from him, our Father, if it is possible, may this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And that means we ought to pray. There can't be anything harder than actually knowing what Jesus was going to go through. We're never going to understand that. He was about to actually have the wrath of God upon him. But he says, not my will, but my desire is to fulfill your good pleasure. So we ought to pray that God's will will be fulfilled in our lives. Next, we ought to be like the psalmist. Psalm 143.10 Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And that means we need to be in the word of God. (laughs) We need to study the scriptures. We need to understand God's not sovereign will, of course, but God's commanded will for our lives. Ephesians says, Don't be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. We're not meant to be silly about this and say, oh, that feels so good. That's definitely God's will. Trust me, I've had people say this to me. If God wills me to sell the house, I'll get an extra $35,000. That's not even a joke. They got $35,000 extra. That was God's will for me. I don't think that's that's definitely God's sovereign will, but maybe just God handed them over to the foolishness. But that is not what we are learned in scriptures. When that's not what we're meant to be uh, learning from it. That we test in the Lord. The next thing is, brethren, Proverbs three five to six says, "Trust 
in the Lord. How? With all of your heart. And then what? Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We are meant to say, Lord, I trust you in the will my in my life. We want to we want to align our will with God's will. This is how we do it. And then know this, brethren, one of most famous verses that can be very easily out of context is Romans 8:28. If you submit to God's will, then you will understand that all things work for good. It doesn't mean that will look good, that will play out good, that will be good, but all things will work for good for those who love God. Why? Because those who are called, they are called according to his own purpose. I pray, brothers and sisters, that this has been a blessing to you as much as it's been to me to study it and to examine which will. I want to leave that up to you. Are you living in? Because Corinthians tells us this, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God. So I pray that we will learn the will of God love uh, the will of God, and of course, then that we may live in the will of God. I want to leave you with a quote from Thomas Watson. For those of you who do not know Christ, for those who have not come to repentance, listen, let me say something back to James. If it says, if you know the right thing to do and you do not do it to you, it is sin. Number one, if you're a believer who has been living apart from the will of God and your own will, you need to repent because it's a sin. You're living your own life for yourself. It's a sin. God takes it very seriously that you live your life the way you want. Okay, so that's one. Two. If you're an unbeliever, here's the right thing for you to do. Acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You've got nothing right that you can do. The only thing you can do is actually bow your head to Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you that same God who can take away your life because your life is like a vapor and will disappear as quick as smoke that same God who promises you salvation today does not promise you a next breath. The same God who says to you, come now, doesn't say, delay and come tomorrow. The day of salvation is today. Christ calls you today. Some of you have heard this over and over again, and you will hear it over and over again from us, from this pulpit and in our teaching because you still need Christ. But I want to warn you. Thomas Watson said this. Delay strengthens sin and hardens the heart and gives the devil fuller possession. Hebrew tells us, chapter 3, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You heard the voice of God today, not mine, when I preached his word. So don't delay and run to him. That same beautiful, 
bleeding Lamb of God is still willing and ready to give you life and life eternal in Him. Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for these few minutes that you've given us, Lord God, in your word. Oh, Lord, we pray. And we pray that we may understand what it really means, Lord God, to live in your will. That we will desire above all things to make Jesus Christ known in our lives. That we will say in all areas of life, does this please my Lord? Is this the will for God in my life? Would you, Lord God, please reveal to us all the more this truth in our very fibers, Lord, from within? That we will, Lord God, understand what is the will of God. That we will live it holy and perfect, Lord God, the way you have called us to be. Father, for those who do not know you, may you reveal to them, Lord God, that their will is just bent towards hell. That their will is to do everything against you. But we pray that this seed, Lord God, of righteousness from your word has been planted. That you will not allow it to be snatched away by the devil or fall by the wayside as people come here week in and week out and then the cares and the riches of the world, oh Lord, will take them away. May you remind them, Lord God, of the rich young man where he said, I will, I will, I will. And you said, you fool, your soul is required of you this very day. Oh Lord, why is it that we can see a dying world around us and think that we're going to live forever? What is wrong with us, God? Please help us to understand, Lord. As believers, one, that our time is limited. Teach us to number our days. Oh Lord, and for the unbelievers, let them know that they will not believe what I say, but what you say. That they are sinners in the hands of an angry God who is righteous, but yet full of mercy and full of goodness that he can save to the utmost. Thank you. Lord, may your will be done. 